Amen. Well, as we're having a seat and uh, kind of get our Bibles out, iPads, iPhones, whatever you have, what is Samsung stuff, you know, whatever you have. By the way, you, you can't even use that on a plane anymore. Found that out. I've been in Philadelphia this week, had a chance to preach to, um, at, a, at a pastor's conference in Philadelphia that primarily were African-American pastors. I've decided that I ever come back in another life, which I'm not because I don't believe that, but if I had another life to live, I think I'd want to live it as an African-American pastor because I'm telling you, it's exciting. I mean, it goes from, preaching goes from fulfillment to fun, you know, because you never have to understand, you never have to wonder how they feel about the sermon, you know, at all. You know, if you say something that's kind of questionable, oh, you know, and then you say something great, they're up out of their chairs. And so I really enjoyed it. Uh, sorry so much that uh, I wasn't, it got dark in here all of a sudden. Was that me? Our lights went out in the first hour, so I'm kind of a little skittish here about that. But um, I know that um, you were braving it through the hurricane, but I tell you, our prayers were answered as that, that whole hurricane moved to the east, a little further out in the ocean, and uh, Oviedo and Orlando was spared so much damage because of that. Now, our prayers were answered. Praise God for that. But you have to ask the qu yourself the question, well, there are Christians here, and we were praying, and we were praying for God to do something really great, and he did. He answered somebody's prayers. But aren't there also Christians in Haiti that prayed that God would avert the damage from them? And their prayers didn't seem to be answered. So why is one person's prayers answered and another one's not? I remember the story that um, one of my favorite all-time um, preachers of God's Word, Ron Dunn, tells in one of his books about his son uh, committing suicide. His son had depression problems, bipolar problems. He was given some medication. And just as a teenager, a 17-year-old boy called to the ministry, in fact, went off his medication. They came home one night, and he had killed himself. But he said... What, what really just kept impressing upon his heart was this. He said there were five couples in his church, counting himself, that were having some kind of difficulty with their sons. And they would meet once a week just to pray for their, their sons. And all four of them, whatever they were a part of, drugs or whatever they were a part of, came out of that and we began to live for the Lord. And he said this, he said, my son was the only one that didn't make it. Why would God answer their prayers and seem to ignore mine? Well, we ask this tough question sometimes. We're in a series of, of, of uh, messages on answering life's toughest questions. We ask you what you wanted to know, and this is one of the, the main things that people wanted to know. It came up time and time and time again. Why do my prayers go unanswered? And certainly there is a conflict. There is a struggle with our prayer life sometimes. Sometimes we don't know where God's coming from. Some, sometimes we wonder why in the world God would uh, not answer our prayers the way we want our prayers to be answered. And, you, and then you think to yourself, well, I'm just going to kind of drop out, quit. I, I'm not going to really get involved in ministry. I'll just go to church. Or perhaps I'll just go to church sometimes because I'm really kind of really upset with God for one reason or another, really because he hasn't answered my prayer. But I don't want to be brash about it. I don't want to confront God with it. I mean, after all, who am I to do that? But yet, we read in the book of Habakkuk, and in this book, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, 
it says to us in this book, as Habakkuk was writing, he says, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, how long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you for violent, in violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice will, is never applied. Here's a man that was a prophet of God that was saying, look, I'm really upset about this. So much so that he came across really rude and shameless in his prayer toward God. How can he have the basis to do that? And what did God say to him? I want us to look at this passage in a couple of different points. Number one, I want us to see the conflict that we often have with God in our prayer life. And then secondly, I want to look at the causes of it, some of the possible causes that um, may be in our life. First of all, I want us to see the conflict. Look with me in verse 2. He says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Now, let me just share with you in the original Hebrew, this comes across very much, much harsher than it does in English. It's as though, really, Habakkuk is very, very close to saying, God, you claim to be infinite, you claim to be powerful, but God, maybe not so much. You know, why this and why that? And I prayed as a prophet of God for the nation of Judah, my nation, and they're just continually being in wickedness, continually being in sin. They won't turn it around. You won't do anything to help them. Just Injustice just keeps going on and on and on. God, when is this all going to come to pass? When is it going to break up? What are you going to do, God? What are you going to do? And so we see the conflict in his life. And really, it's a rhetorical question. It's a, it's a punching statement. It's a punching one. But what I want you to notice, first of all, with Habakkuk, I know that he's an unusual individual in the fact that he was a prophet of God, but even prophets of God went against God sometimes. Sometimes they, they got into sin themselves. But one thing about Habakkuk, even though he was desperate and desperate times, he showed his heart by going to God in prayer. One of the things that prayer does for our life, and this is a great test in your life. I'm, I'm just going to, you can put yourself to the test this morning, all right? One of the things that prayer does is that when we get our, our, ourselves backed up to a wall, what are we going to do? You know, it's been said there are no atheists in foxholes. And I know that's a, you know, ne necessarily a good statement for an atheist. You know, usually they kind of, you know, draw, withdraw from that with you a little bit. You don't want to do that and say that to them, but it's true. There are no atheists in foxholes. In fact, Mark Twain, who himself was not a believer and opposed in many ways to Christianity, admitted that when his wife was sick and she was on her deathbed, he prayed and prayed and prayed and got down on his knees and poured his heart out to God. He prayed for what was going on. When you're in the foxhole, when, when you're up against the wall, what happens to your life? Suddenly, the anger is, is subsided in some ways. Because your whole body and your whole mind and your spirit is on the alert. And you're surprised by it. And when you're surprised, then you really reveal what you're really depending on and what you really believe. It's sort of like uh, if you, you know, the old saying is, if you want to know what's in your basement, and I know Floridians have no idea what that, a basement is something that is, is sort of under your house and it's usually in the ground. All right, we don't have those here, but we did when we were in Georgia, and we have them other places as well. 
If you want to know what's really in your basement, surprise it. All right? So you go, what do you do? You're walking down the steps, and you flip on the light, and you see the mice or the bugs or roaches or whatever running around. And that's how you find out what's in the basement. You surprise it. Well, how do we find out what's in our heart? We surprise our heart. And prayer, when we're backed up to the wall, again, our prayers begin to come out when the anger and the defenses are down, the anger suppressed. We are at that time most human. And when we're most human, we, we revert back to our deepest beliefs. And you're saying, yes, but still, still, my prayers go unanswered. I have this, this line, my life, as it's mapped out subconsciously in my mind. You and I have this timeline or what we think life ought to be about, how our life ought to go. Well, you, you're going to get married. You're going to have two or three kids. You're going to have some grandkids maybe, and they're, they're not going to have any real deep problems, and you're going to have a good job, and you're going to be successful. You may not be rich. That's okay, but you're going to be successful about what you do, and you're going to have a good marriage, and there's not going to be any problems there really, and you're never going to get a divorce, and you're never going to have someone to cheat on you, and you're never going to have a child on drugs, and you're never, never, never. And when that is broken, when something comes into our life that we do not expect, we turn to God in prayer, and we're desperate in prayer. Even those that do not believe in the Lord are desperate in prayer. We want something from God. Only God can do it. It's beyond our control, and then boom, it does, it's not answered. And then what happens? There are many people that are out of church today or won't darken the doors of a church, will not listen to you say anything about Jesus Christ at all because they had one prayer in their life that they wanted God to come through for, and, and he didn't. One pastor was telling a story about a man calling him up and saying to him, take my name off the church roll. I'm done with church. I'm done with you. I'm never coming back again. And he knew immediately what had happened. Because just that week, he was walking in the courthouse with this man. His son had been arrested, his 17-year-old son. Not only for the first time, but he, he has a record. And they're wondering if they're going to put him in a regular adult prison at this time. Because he had done so, I mean, even kidnapping. And he was again arrested for a major crime. And the pastor turned to him and said, what are, you, what are you gonna do if they put him in an adult prison? Oh, that'll never happen, pastor. I prayed about it and God has assured me that he, they will, God will not let them put my son in an adult prison. What happened? They put him in an adult prison. So the one thing that man wanted he says, I've got to have, if, if God will not come through for me on this, I'm not going to follow him. But if he does come through, okay, I, I, I may do that. The one thing. So what about that? What about the reasons why God answers some prayers? What, what hinders our prayers? What causes unanswered prayer in our life? Well, let's look at the passage. First of all, there's something that may be hindering your prayers. In verse 3, he talks about sin, the iniquity, that's sin. He came, uh, it caused me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists. Contention arises. It, does that describe your life in any way? Therefore, the law is ignored. 
You know what the Bible says, but maybe you ignore that. Injustice never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Is there something in your life? The first thing, the obvious thing, the one thing that we look for when our prayers go unanswered or when situations come in our life that overpower us, we think to ourselves, God, why me? What's wrong with my life? And that's the first question we ought to ask. Lord, is there sin in my life? Is there something separating me from you? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin, it affects our relationship with God. Now, let me, let me say this. You and I, the very moment that we receive Christ into our heart, we become a child of God. And we are adopted into God's family, which is important in this passage. And we have a relationship with him forever. But that doesn't mean we have fellowship. That doesn't mean the relationship is applied. And so the fellowship part is the application of that relationship. That's the closeness that we have with God. When we sin against the Lord, it do, we don't lose our salvation, but we lose our fellowship with the Lord. And we lose our ability to have powerful prayer. Now, now here's the thing. If I'm if I'm walking down, we'll just say this aisle right here, and this aisle represents my life, and I had an angel, and I, this is all made up. You know what I'm saying? This is not theologically accurate. You understand what that? Everybody understand that? Raise, you know, yeah, okay. And so I'm, I'm walking down, and just suppose those angels had a gift for me at every post. Some of it I had to ask for. Some of it I didn't. You see, some things in life, God's just going to give me because I need them so desperately bad. So, so desperately because if I don't have them, God cannot take me to the next step. And so he's going to give me that. And so I'm thinking, well, God's given me blessings in life. I'm not dead. I've got a job. He answered this prayer and that prayer, but not, just not the major one. But also, if I don't ask for something, there's some things I just won't get. And if there's sin in my life, if there's something separating me from God and fellowship, I'm not going to get some of those things that I most desperately need. And that makes sense. If you're a dad, if you're a mom today, you know what I'm talking about. What parent is going to give, we'll just say money, to a child, or a, a, I should say a teenager and a young adult, then you know they're going to spend it on something bad, maybe drugs. Okay, here's your drug money. Go spend it on drugs. No one is going to do that. Now, you may give money thinking, oh, they may, they may spend it on drugs, but they told you differently and you want to believe them. But no parent knowingly is going to give money to a child when they're going to use it poorly, when they're not where they need to be, when it's going to hurt them in some way. Well, God knows everything. And so he knows what's going to help us and what's going to hurt us. And God is not going to encourage a life apart from him, out of fellowship with him, a life that has sin in it, whether it's co coveting something, a lack of generosity in our life, a lack of reading the word, a lack of prayer. The Bible says, you know, that that's a sin as well. Or it could be something that we commit as well. Now, we're doing these things, and if God answers our prayer, what we're thinking, hey, I'm okay. God's answering my prayer, so I must be okay. So he's encouraging you to walk away from him. And that's just not going to happen. So oftentimes, the very first thing, in fact, the very first thing that we ought to ask is, God, what are you doing in my life? 
God, is there something in my life that is, that is hidden you from me and my fellowship with you? Anything at all. Secondly, I need to move on, something opposing your prayers. Uh, Babylon, as we look down here in verse 6, it says, Well, behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. That's another name for, the, uh, for Babylonian. It's Babylon is, is a, a symbol, even in the book of Revelation, of evil, of, of the devil's reign, satanic reign. So one of the things that happens in our life is that we are opposed oftentimes by Satan himself. Daniel 10 says this, Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have not now seen uh, been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. Very first day. But then he says, and I've come in response to your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that is a demonic force. A demonic force, this kingdom of, of Persia, with, was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, who's the archangel, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I have been left there with the kings of Persia. I've been left, left there to fight. And so how do you do that? You just keep on praying. You, you pray with earnestness. You, you pray against the, even the evil forces that are trying to keep that answer from coming to you. You see, sometimes it's not faith that we lack. It's a lack of patience. It's a lack of endurance. And so you and I often quit before we get the answer. But there's a third reason, and that third reason is this. There's something that's better in God's plan. There's something that's bigger than the prayer that you want. Something more far-reaching, maybe even providential. Look with me in verse 5. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. He says, look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to answer your prayer, but you're not going to like it. I'm going to answer your prayer, but you're not going to understand it. Now, here's a prophet. A prophet's not going to understand it. Just not going to get it. It's sort of like a... You know, you're an adult and you have a five-year-old son or daughter, say a son, and you say, hmm, don't drink that, it's poison. Well, he doesn't understand that. Well, let me explain this to you, son. The moment you drink that, it's going to go down into your throat and it's going to burn and it's going to get into your stomach and begin to burn your stomach and it's going to run through your, your, your corpuscles and your veins. It's going to get to your heart. It's going to choke off the blood of your heart and it's going to kill you. Do you understand that? Well, he may not drink it just not to get that lecture again, you know? <laughs> you know I don't know. But he doesn't, he doesn't get it. And so God could have said, look, here's what I'm going to do, and here's the reason I'm going to do it. And Habakkuk would have said, I don't get it. I just don't get it. He says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something that you will never understand. And here's what it was. Verse 6, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, this fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. And we can go on and on and read about them. But then verse 11, 
They will sweep through like the wind and pass on. Wow, what a wicked nation. And it was. God says, I'm going to use the most wicked nation in the world and the most powerful nation in the known world at that time to come against you and to put you under servitude. Well, he didn't understand that. That's not the answer he wanted. No way. Well, why did God do that? Well, obviously, in the passage, you have to understand that the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, I should say, was in sin, and God was using another nation to punish his own people, to get them right, to get them where they needed to be, and it worked. But there's something more far-reaching than this. Let me go back 150 years after the nation of Israel had split. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 19 kings uh, after the split. 19 of them were bad. They were wicked kings. The southern kingdom had 20 kings. Eight of them were good. Follow the Lord. 12 of them were wicked. What happened in the northern kingdom 150 years before is the Assyrians were very powerful people. And they came and took over the northern kingdom. Now, they had a policy. Their policy was, we're going to scatter everybody. We conquer someone, we scatter them everywhere within our kingdom so they could never come about against us and conquer us again. So that's what they did. So there's the lost tribes of Israel. You've heard of that before? Lost tribes of Israel. They went everywhere. And they ended up, some of them ended up in America even. They went everywhere. The amazing thing is, when Paul began to preach the gospel, when, when the nation of, or the city of Jerusalem had such persecution that everybody went everywhere preaching the gospel, the first Gentiles that were saved were called the God-fearing Gentiles. Where did they come from? They came from the Jews being dispersed and them understanding Jehovah God and being partially uh, Jewish in their religion there's where the first converts came from. Well, what about Babylonian Empire? Well, they were captured, remember, by Cyrus, and, and they were captured. Finally, the Greeks came along, one right after another. God, God made a chain of reaction that came about to bring about the Greek Empire. Why is that important? Because during the time of the Greek Empire, they established one trade language throughout the entire empire. So when Jesus came along to preach the gospel and to die on the cross and to tell everybody why he was there, the universal language was one, Greek. Everybody could understand Greek. Everybody could understand it. God worked that out. What about the Greeks fell? Well, their language and many of their customs stayed in the Roman Empire. And many of you have studied about the Roman Empire, have seen movies about the Roman Empire. They conquered everyone till finally there was a time of peace and during that time of peace is when Jesus came and he was free to walk from town to town and village to village without worrying about war, without worrying about violence, because there was peace in the Roman Empire. See, God had a bigger plan. It's just what I said last, last week, week before that about China. In 1948, the doors were closed because of communism. Communism conquered their false religions. And then Christianity took root in the homes, and when they opened up that that nation to the gospel again, we found out we didn't have just a handful of Christians. But 30, 40 years later, we had hundreds of thousands of Christians everywhere scattered. God used the persecution of the communists 
to choke off a religion that didn't work. And a religion, a faith that did work, Jesus Christ's faith that did work, rose up in the nation of China. And really millions have been saved. So God has a different plan. You don't know what God is really doing in your life, how God is working in your life. Well, we see, I need to close down with this message here in the next few minutes. But I want you to notice the last thing. I want to park on this just for a few minutes. There's something sometimes empty in our prayers. You say, I've been praying for my sister a long time. How often do you pray? For your sister. I've been praying for my neighbor a long time. Well, how, how often do you pray for your neighbor? How much do you want it? I'm reminded of the story of blind Barnabas in the New Testament when he came up to Jesus and Jesus was walking through and he said, Lord, Lord, look at me over here. Heal me, Lord. I know you can do it. And Jesus just kind of ignored him at first. And the disciples finally said, you know, go away, go away. The master doesn't want to talk to you. And the Bible says, if I can say it in the King James Version, he cried out the more. The more they tried to suppress him, the, the louder he got, Lord, Lord, would you heal me? Would you heal me? Louder and louder. And Jesus turned around and healed him. How badly do you want it? Are you crying the more? Look and <clears throat> and Habakkuk. This whole book, by the way, is a prayer. It's going back and forth between Habakkuk and God. In verse, in verse 1 of chapter 2, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. He opens up a new prayer. In chapter 3, verse 2, Lord, I've heard the report about you, and I fear, Lord, revive your work in the midst of your years. In the midst of your years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. All throughout this book, praying and praying, and praying. And so how badly do you want to see? Some people think, well, and I've, I've really heard this before, that if you, all you have to do is ask God one time, and he's going to do it. Well, if you ask him one time, he gives you a piece about it, that's fine with me. I'm not going to tell you every little move to make in your prayer life. But has God a computer? You know, just input one time, and, and then we get the output. You know, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, any of you that are parents or grandparents here, um, going into a toy store and taking your little toddlers in with you. And they don't know, they don't know the scoop. They don't know how this thing goes. I have a little one, uh, a little granddaughter, Gwen, a little over a year old. We took her into toy store. The first thing she saw on the first shelf she grabbed, very first thing. We walk on through the store as I steer her. You know, I'll, th this is the key, folks. Parent, grandparent, doesn't matter. This is the only way that you can get them moved on. You say, hey, let's go see something else. That's about it because they get stuck there. And you move through the store while well, she's looking at something else. She throws that down and grabs something else. Goes through the store, throws that down, grabs something else. She doesn't know what she wants. She just doesn't know. And sometimes that's like us. God, I do want that. Yeah, I do want that job. I do want that career. I do want something to have. I God, I really do, but I'm just so busy. So how badly, how badly do you want it? We see the prayers of Habakkuk, and he was pouring out 
his heart to God in a tremendous manner. But we look. And in Luke chapter 11, I won't have time to read these verses to you, but here's, you, you've probably read this parable before. If not, here's how it goes. A man comes to uh, another man by night, knocks on his door in the middle of the night, and 12 o'clock midnight back then with no electricity. Some of you have experienced that this week. Um, no electricity. You know you might as well go to bed at 6 o'clock. And so at 12 o'clock, it's midnight, and it's middle of the night. In the middle of the night, this man comes knocking on the door, and he says, I've got visitors coming. I need some bread. I need some food, Diet Coke. Do you have anything? And the man says, go away, go away. Uh, you know, my family's asleep. I'll have to wake them up to get out of bed because everybody slept in the same bed. I had one room. He kept knocking, kept knocking at the door, kept knocking at the door, kept knocking at the door. That's why Jesus said, ask at the end of this. He says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you again. Now the parable, by the way, is a parable is not an allegory. An allegory, everything, everything stands for something. Every little movement in the story. A parable only has one teaching. And the teaching is not that you have to pester God to death. It's not about God. This parable is about us. And what God wants us to do is desire things from him. A father loves reputation in many ways. Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? My oldest grandson was visiting here, eight-year-old, almost eight, from Oxford. We took him into the toy store. And by the way, these toy stores around here really like their toys. I mean, you know, prepare... Get your credit card out, debit card, whatever. And so we're walking through there, and he says, nope, don't want that. Nope, nope, nope. See, he knows the game. He knows what's going on. And he had a desire on one thing, to find one thing. He found it, and it was, well, it was kind of expensive for, <laughs> for what it was. It didn't do anything. It just sat there. And I'm thinking, wow, we're paying all this money for it. Just, it doesn't even have batteries. I mean, it just sits there. Surely you want something else. And so I tried to steer him toward this. Nope, he had that. That's all he wanted. That was his desire. And so I took out the bank loan and I bought that for him. <laughs> like any grandpa would, you know. Because he knew what he wanted. Do you know what you want? One of the biggest reasons why we don't get what we want is we're not brash with God. We're not shameless, as Habakkuk was in his prayer. Why could he be shameless? Why could you say, well, I'd never do that with God. I'd never, I mean, I, I'm more humble than that. I, I, I would never do that with God. Well, it depends on what kind of relationship you have. You see, there's two types of relationships. One is father and one is employer. Jesus, Paul cried out that we have been adopted into the family of God, Romans 8, 15. Before we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Papa. We cry, Abba, Father. Literally what it means in the, in the Greek. And so we are adopted into his family. Now, if you treat God as your boss and you're an employer, obviously you're going to obey what he wants you to do to a certain extent. Are you, you afraid you get fired? But you would never, and you may even go to him and say, uh, boss, I, I need a raise. But you would never go to him, I demand a raise. At least, you know, not unless you're Got a job to back that up that you're going to, all right? You know that. 
because that's your relationship. But when you have a father, you know those kids whine, they, they cry, they try to manipulate anything they can do. Why? Because you're the father. You're the dad. There's a difference here, a relationship. I like what, what one pastor said. He said, if President Obama had a five-year-old, I'm not sure how old his children are now, but if he had a five-year-old daughter, the only person in the world that could get a glass of water at 2 a.m. in the morning from the president of the United States would be that five-year-old daughter. Daddy, I want a glass of water. Daddy, I want a glass of water. Daddy. And finally, because of the persistence, you get up. Even if his wife said, honey, I want a glass of water. Honey, I want a glass of water. Get it yourself, you know. I'm, I'm going to sleep. Only person in the world. Why? Because of that relationship that you have with him. How badly do you want it? How much do you want what God has for you. Here's what Habakkuk came to realize. He came to realize the same thing that Job came to realize, and that is we cannot understand all what God's doing, even if we live the rest of our life. It may be in heaven, and even then, it may not be. God told Job, hey, hey look, I'm God. I know you don't understand things. You let me be God, and you just be faithful. And that's what Habakkuk was learning. In fact, this, these were verses, by the way, written out for me and on a card about four years ago and placed under my door uh, of my study. And I read them before I preached that morning. And I frequently, including this morning, read them. Here's what it says. Though the fig tree should not blossom. This is, this is the conclusion of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom... And there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there is no cattle in the stalls. God, if I don't have one blessing for you, he says, verse 18, yet I will exalt, I will praise the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Even if I don't get what I want, God, I'm going to remain faithful. I'm going to want it. I'm going to ask you for it. I'm going to get upset if I don't maybe get it. But in the end, God, I'm just going to leave it with you. Because I don't understand it. But nevertheless, you are there. And God, you answer so many prayers that I just move on from. So many prayers. How let me share with you. We are far, far, we, we are far less thankful for God moving that hurricane away from us than we would be distraught and wondering and questioning if he had not moved it. And we today could not even meet for church for the, maybe the whole church being flattened, trees everywhere, death all around us. Far less grateful. Why? We, we, we just moved on. We've moved on. Say, so, well, my prayer's not going to do any good anyway. And when the, things do work out, it's just maybe coincidental. It's not going to work. I've been praying and praying and praying for this one. 
Let me share one story with you as a close because, and you know, it's a funeral story, but I want to put a new um, application to it. Man came up to his, um, his pastor, man in his 70s, just lost his wife. The pastor had done the funeral. And he said, uh, Pastor, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ last night. Pastor was shocked. He had been working on this guy and praying for this guy and witnessing this guy for years. And he said, what happened to you? He said, well, you know, you buried my wife yesterday. And I was going through some of her things. And I found a letter written to me to be read at her death. And you understand, Pastor, that I have not been a good husband to my wife. I've been unfaithful. I've been, I've had trouble with addictions of alcohol. Sometimes I've just been mean to her. Surprised sometimes when she hadn't left me. But in this letter, she said, I want to thank you one last time for being such a great husband to me. And she goes on and mentions other things. And she says, I want to ask you and plead with you one last time. Don't weep for me. Meet me. Don't weep for me. Meet me. And he said, at that time, I bowed my head down on my knees and gave my heart to Jesus. Now, what's the moral to the story? Dear friend, our prayers go beyond the grave. We don't understand everything, but every prayer is heard by God. Every prayer is acknowledged by God. Every prayer is remembered by God. And they go beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Many answers to prayer, many are not. But God says, you let me take care of life. You remain faithful with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning maybe you're sitting here and saying you know pastor mercer really i i've been angry with god just like that man who prayed and prayed and prayed for his son i prayed for something and god didn't answer it and i didn't understand why and i've been angry about it ever since and i've been an unbeliever i've been one that would even push against Christianity, joke about it, rail against it. But today, I understand better, and I realize that the greatest prayer that's ever been answered was a prayer of salvation, that Jesus would come to our heart, enlighten our heart, and the Holy Spirit would come to live inside of me, God in me forever. And so now, you want to trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. Let me invite you to do that right now. You can do that by praying this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of everything that I've done. I want to trust you as my Savior, my Lord, my Father in heaven. My Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.